Welcome to the Hellraiser Podcast. Hello again, and welcome to our second podcast about Boom Studios, comics 1 to 8. Today we're going to be talking about issues 5 to 8, which are collectively known as Requiem, parts 1 to 4. I'm Peter, this is Phil. Hello. For those of you who didn't know that. So straight into issue 5. So this is Requiem Part 1. The story carries straight on, though, with Kirsty on her way to try and save the Harrowers, as she thinks. But the comic starts with Samuel Hess at his farmhouse in Nebraska. And the first page is, is quite disturbing, really. It's just a, a cow has been caught in barbed wire, and he goes up to it and shoots it in the head. Ooh. But he also could be collecting the barbed wire for something we'll find out on the next couple of pages, where Samuel's giving a speech to the Harrowers... But unfortunately, during the speech, we realise that he's actually killed them all. Yeah, I don't know if I did think that they were dead at this point, weirdly. Oh, I, yeah, I think, I think they are. Because they're, they're surrounded by blood, there's blood pools everywhere, their expressions don't change, and they've got barbed wire wrapped around their necks, yeah. going into their jugulars. I was optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing, you don't really know at this point. But I was certainly more interested in what he was saying. Yeah. About his personal history, where he basically sort of alludes to him murdering people in the past, yep. finding the box, and then serving the Lord, yeah. as he calls him, Pinhead, just to get... A, he's obviously got a huge, like, inferiority complex, you know, he just mm. wants he just wants a bit of pride. Yeah. He wants to do a about. job well done, you know, he wants to be worthy of something. Yeah, and he thinks that he will become worthy if he helps Pinhead doing what he needs doing, and then he can basically go to hell with him and be his right-hand man, as it were. Yeah, I think he, he, he wants to be a Cenobite or or something like that. Yeah, or just help out. Be a helper. A hell helper. And then Kirsty turns up. She's leaving a voicemail to someone who we don't know who that is right now. We'll find out at the end of this issue. But she's basically saying, it's all gone tits up and I need some help. Hmm. And then she goes the back way. She's a bit sneaky with a guy who works in a petrol station. Yeah. Or a gas station. Mm-hmm. And she... Uh... He's quite trusting, this gas station guy, because she's like, oh, I'm looking for this man. I want to surprise him. Yeah. And the guy's like, yeah, it's fine. I'll take you the back way. Good luck with your surprise. Uh, small town. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, so she gets up on the hill nearby and looks at uh, Samuel's farm. Yeah. The big barn that so he's got there. And, uh, yeah. and she waits till it's dark and then goes inside. And there he is in a square of candles, much like we've seen before when people are about to open the box. Yeah, he's in the traditional Hellraiser position. Yeah, cross-legged, cross-legged top, off, top off, no shoes and socks. Uh-huh. And um, he wants the box off her. Yeah. And then he says, right, off you go to your friends. And she goes and... Oh, oh dear. Yeah, and this is dead. where we find out that they are. Dead, if you weren't quite sure already. So, this is quite brave, really, to go straight into this issue saying they're all dead. And the last two issues, we were really building up who they were, their backstories, and especially this cl- the cliffhanger at the end of Pursuit of the Flesh is your friends are in danger, you have to rescue them. Mm. And to find out immediately that there's no way she could, ever could have rescued them because they've been killed is it's quite a brave choice, I think. Absolutely, yeah, and it, it pays off. Um, later on in the story, but at this point you're like, whoa. Yeah. They've been killed, like, off-camera, as yeah, it yeah, were, exactly. you know. They're just dead. And it's great. <laughs> it's really... I mean, this is proper horror. This is really horrific. All the stuff that's going... I mean, this girl, Kirsty, <laughs> she's God. really had a rough time of it, hasn't she? She's been through it, hasn't she? 
like you wouldn't believe. And when she discovers that they're all dead, Samuel is opening the box. Mm. And we get a great page here. Yeah. With a call back to the bells. The bells the donging. The chimes from hell. And the um, blue light coming through the Coming through the, the boards. Slats. That's brilliant. I love that. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. Uh, so then Samuel knocks her out. Yeah. <laughs> or <laughs> knocks her to the ground anyway. Yeah, knocks her to the ground. Because she's got a cross face on and she's blatantly going to try and smash him up. So he gets there before she does. Mm-hmm. Knocked at the floor, and then the, our three Cenobites turn up again. Hurrah! Pinhead, female, and Chatterer. Looking good. It's quite a different art style, I think, in this issue than has come before. Yeah. I think in this, in this, in my opinion, in the next few issues, the art sort of varies quite a lot. I think it does, yeah. I mean, it varies much more in 5 to 8 than in 1 to 4. I do like this one, though. This one's good fun. Mm, I, it is I good. love the way this one's drawn. So they... Cenobites have arrived, and uh, Kirsty's quite, you know, well, I'm going to take you down. Yeah. And the female Cenobite's like, well, there's no glyphs here, no sigils. We're not mm-hmm. standing on these runes that can, uh, yeah. you know, take us down. And Kirsty's like, no, you're not standing on them. You're standing under them. And she's before she went in, she's actually got on the roof of the farmhouse and drawn the, the glyph on the roof. Brilliant. Yeah. What a cool idea. And then she gets a gun out. Yeah. So she's got a secret weapon, and so has Pinhead. Yeah, and then who turns up? Our old favourite Butterball turns up behind her and grabs her. Yay! (laughs) And it is nice to see him. Mm. He's the least popular of the original four Cenobites. I'm not saying that that I don't like him, but generally he is seen as a bit silly. And people complain sometimes about his sunglasses, saying he looks a bit 80s. But you can make that much more horrific when you're drawing it like this in a comic. Well, I like him. I like him as well. Well, I think he's good. And he does his job. And he looks great in this comic. Yeah. He looks really uh, horrible. So he's basically got hold of Kirsty now. She can't move. And um, Pinhead's talking to her and sort of offering her a gift. And she's just not listening. She's just like, there's no gifts. You've murdered everyone. Ah. And then he gives her one of his knives. Yeah. Off his sort of belt. And says he's also going to give her a word. She says, what word? He says, duck. Duck. Then we get a lot of action. A lot of action. Now, if um, the killing of the harrowers was a brave choice, (laughs) I'd say this, what happens now, is an even braver choice. Hmm. And I was not expecting this. I did not see this coming at all. But she manages to stab Butterball and she vanquishes him. I'm not quite sure where to. It sort of explodes in a load of light. It's very similar to the original film with the yeah. kind of yellowish, And in that one, light. they were sent back to hell, weren't they? Yeah. So yeah. maybe he's been sent back to hell. Mm-hmm. But then Pinhead shoots out chains and hooks and captures Samuel, Chatterer and the female Cenobite and chains them up. Hmm. And did you not see this coming? No. Oh, really? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. Why? Why did you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, I, just... I know I said that I'm quite slow on the uptake with certain things, but... I thought that... I didn't I didn't see this happening, where he would, like, chain them up, and but I, I saw that he was going to betray them for Kirsty somehow. Right. But I don't know why. I can't remember why I thought that. Oh. Oh. I just sort of thought that they would just be sort of minions anyway, and... Because Pinhead had that whole conversation in the first issue with, you know, the big organ. Mm-hmm. And it was very much Pinhead on his own, doing this thing on his own. Yeah. So I thought the whole thing was going to be, you know, Pinhead on his own with Kirsty doing just 
this transaction mm-hmm. or trying to do it and maybe failing, maybe not doing it. Yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating idea that the, this plan he's got is kind of contrary to what the others want. You know, they don't want Kirsty. No, but he is the lead Cenobite. <laughs> he is, and uh, but, you know, they, 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 they could turn on him. You know, he's got to take him out of the picture. Could they, though? I don't know. We've That's been, what I get seen from that this. Happen. And if you getting a bit geeky and going taking no more souls as canon, if you if you want to, then he has to open the box in a special way to summon them to kill him. So I don't think they can just kill him in that version. He sort of makes them. I know it's not usually seen as canon, but who knows? I don't know, but um, I mean, I prefer the idea that they could. <laughs> if they wanted to, yeah, um, because it just makes it more and normally exciting. They don't, they don't want to. Um, it's just good. It's good fleshing out the characters because you know it gives them desires and things, and you know they don't want him to go, and they don't want him to, yeah. you know, get Kirsty involved in all of this. They just want to kill Kirsty. Um, so it's a really nice turnaround here, and poor Chatterer. Yeah. So basically, mm-hmm. Pin yeah, Pinhead has chained them all up, and then just gestures to Kirsty. You know, off you go. Mm. Have your way with a big knife that she's got from him. And first of all, she, yeah, she does chatter it in. Yeah, stabs him. <laughs> right in the face. Right in the chatterbox. <laughs> He's gone. And then she's about to do the same with the female Cenobite. And Pinhead's like, can I just have a moment? Because <laughs> here we kind of have it revealed that they're together yeah. in some way. We, there, the she, relationship is very blatant now. Yeah, she loves him. And he's, you know, a little bit sad in some way yeah and this is a brilliant bit where she basically says you know i would have become human with you and grown old with you but you didn't want that i mean he's in the expanding of pinhead here he's a real bastard i mean i know you know he's from hell and stuff but (laughs) he's betrayed everybody and he will just do what he wants for himself it's incredibly selfish what he's doing now and even though she's like i could have gone with you i could have done this he's like no and it's really cool here, there's a, a little panel where she's holding his face and she's like put her hand on his face and the pins are actually coming through her fingers. Yeah. She's like stabbed them into it. And um, yeah, then Pinhead lets Kirsty kill her. Well, that's the plan at least. Kirsty goes to stab her in the throat. Unfortunately, as we've mentioned before, the female Cenobite has a sort of uh, vaginal wound in wound. her throat. <laughs> And the knife goes straight through it, out the other side. Mm. And then she does this amazing thing where she rips all the wires that yeah. are stuck into her throat and face, rips them out and disappears back into hell again. She, she escapes. escapes. Yeah. Really cool. Really like that. And if that wasn't enough betrayal. <laughs> no, here we have Samuel Hess chained up against the wall and Pinhead saying to Kirsty, could you kill a man? And this is just terrible, isn't it? Yeah. Because poor Samuel's just like, you promised all these years I've served Well, you... you say poor Samuel, but he still, you know, made people go to their deaths. Well, this is this is what I mean, you know. I mean, he's obviously a bad person, but this is kind of what I said about Butterfield in our Lord of Illusions podcast. You know, I did feel a little sorry for him because yeah. he was passed over. And the same here. Samuel just tried to please Pinhead and tried to do what he wanted. And he's just been completely betrayed because Pinhead's like, look, you are helping me out yeah. because you're going to seal Kirsty's fate. Enjoy it. All right. There. Thanks. And Kirsty sees the uh, faces of the harrowers and just thinks, yeah, I'm going to do it. <laughs> and we get a great page. This is just something else. 
of her just blowing him away, blowing yeah. Samuel away with a gun. Blowing his head off. That's it. And it's brilliant. Done. And Pinhead is most pleased. He is. And so now we're just left with Kirsty and Pinhead. This is cool as well, a little thing he says here. Mm. He says, I, I must applaud you, Kirsty. Even in the life I lived before the box, brimming as it was with blood, I had never taken so sad a soul. Yeah. So that gives you another little insight into what his life was like before the box. Because I've often wondered yeah. about that. Well, I mean, it was Elliot obviously Spencer. brimming with blood as in, you know, he was in the war. So Absolutely. he would have killed people in the war. But sure. it does sort of imply that there was other bloodletting as well. He was, ob- I mean, there was. Ob- he was obviously, a, a, he must have been a bit of a perverse thrill seeker or something. Well, they say that because even in Deader, they mention that you have to be a specific type of person to open this box. Mm. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It was just a nice little hint to something oh, about yeah, um, yeah. Elliot Spencer, which I liked. So now Pinhead is offering her to have all her friends back. Yeah, he's basically saying, we could help each other. And she's like, there's nothing you could offer me that I would help. And he says, well, what if I could bring all of your friends and your fella back? Hmm. And she goes, oh, what? But then she's not got much of a say in this conversation. It's not really, a, it's quite one-sided because he had, by this point he has chained her up as well. <laughs> Yeah, she's chained up. Um, some great artwork here. And he's... Yeah, and he just wants to lay out the the deal, basically. Hmm. And in terms of Kirsty and Pinhead, that's that's the last thing we see about them in this issue. Yep. And the very last page, we find out who Kirsty was leaving the voicemail for earlier on, and it's Tiffany. Hmm. And she says, I'm coming, mother. I'm coming. And she's got a samurai sword. <laughs> yeah. So you're kind of a bit like, whoa, what's going on here? So Tiffany the warrior is coming to rescue her. Mm. Now, I know that we're doing these sort of, you know, as one long story, but we have to remember that, I mean, we were both buying these when they first came out. And so it really was a sense of cliffhangers, having to wait a whole month to find out what was oh, going to happen. Yeah. It, was a, it was a real nightmare. Yeah, it was. But it was really interesting, and the the cliffhangers especially were all, always really good. Mm, yeah, it was really enjoyable to sort of wait and sort of think, <laughs> what's going to happen next? Yeah, it's great. So what do you think of issue five then? Yes, I like it. I like it as well. I think it's good. I like the art. I like the writing. Um, I think it's got a good bit of action in it. Yeah, It's too. made some very brave choices. Yeah. Getting rid of some, you know, well-loved well, everyone, characters. Everyone, <laughs> pretty much. And uh, it really opens out Pinhead a bit more, and you you do get the sense now that he is he's a real nasty piece of work. Yeah. If you didn't already have that before, hmm. and the timing of the very end page is really interesting as well, because just when you're thinking they've killed off everyone, there's no one left. You suddenly they go, well, actually, there is this one person that you've forgotten about, Tiffany, mm. and then you go, oh, oh yeah, yeah, on to the next one, yeah. So issue six, Requiem Part Two opens with Tiffany arriving at Kirsty's house, the house that might or might not be the house from the original film. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, she's she's looking a little bit um, interesting, is our Tiffany. Yeah. Fishnet stockings on and a tiny little skirt, and she's got tattoos on her chest. Mm-hmm. Strange things. And, yeah, she looks like she's a bit, um, bit of a feisty, kind of world-weary warrior type. Yeah. Which, what do you think about that? I'm going to come straight out and say the first negative thing we've said about these comics. And that is I'm not a big fan of how she looks in this issue here. Mm. 
And it's not just her. I'm not a big fan of the way that Kirsty's been drawn either. They've both got these really intense smears of lipstick on that makes them look a bit like they're wearing clown makeup in a couple of pages. <laughs> There's a picture of Kirsty later on, and it's like she's wearing, you know, intense clown slap. And I know it's not, it's not meant to... I don't know why that was done. I'm not quite sure the artist's intention for that. But they look a bit different to they've looked before. It's a new artist. And it'd be the colouring as well. I mean, the, yeah, the colouring, you know, rather than the way it's drawn. Well, partially, a bit of both, isn't it? I think so. But yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I agree with you that I don't really like this look of Tiffany's. No, I don't um, either, really. But when I read it, it didn't bother me that much because I was like, okay, where's this going to go? Yeah. What are you, how are you going to make this good, essentially? <laughs> and so Tiffany finds Kirsty upstairs, but uh, just before she does, she stumbles across this picture of Kirsty and Edgar, but it seems to be covered in, well, either red paint or ink or blood. And the photo of Kirsty has been covered with pins, like Pinhead. Ooh. And then when she finally finds Kirsty, Kirsty is sat in a circle of the vulnerability glyph. And she's got the box. Mm. And she's like, where have you been, Tiffany? And then we get a great montage. And this I love. I really love this montage of what Tiffany's been up to. Mm. Brilliant, striking image. of <laughs> She's <laughs> shot a guy in the head and you're yeah. looking through the bullet hole <laughs> at her. And I love how it now plays out because there's, there's three stories that are being told simultaneously, one panel at a time. Yeah, it's great. It is really good, this. So she's going around the world killing engineers yeah she's killing the people who are moving the puzzles and in this way you kind of get the sense that they don't really know that they're the puzzles yeah and a lot of them there's a guy who's just finding bits of a puzzle and trying to put it to back together but they're all talking about le marchand and they all kind of know who he was and they sort of imply that he was mad <laughs> now i've got to bring up something now they've been implying in this comic that le marchand was a complete nutter who made loads and loads and loads of these puzzles, and they're all gateways to hell. Mm. Well, that means that this is set in a different universe to Hellraiser Bloodline, doesn't it? It means that this is saying that Hellraiser Bloodline is, is didn't Yeah, happen. because in Bloodline he made one box and then he got killed. Well, that's where I take this universe. Yeah, that's what, that's what I think is happening. I think after Hellraiser 2, this is what happens, these comics. Right. What about Bloodline, then? Because there are some people who would count the films as canon and aren't interested in reading comics. Well, I think, actually, through some of the things in these comics, this is, if you want to follow the official Clive Barker tale, <laughs> this is where it goes. I suppose if this is Clive Barker's story, yeah. then yeah. The other films, you know, are a canon of their own, I guess. You know, they're a, yeah. they're an, a story arc of their own. Um, but I think if you this is my opinion just from based on what's in the comics if you want to follow what Clive Barker was thinking after Hellraiser 2 this is it, it well it must have been which yeah. makes it quite special I or guess. if he wasn't thinking that at the time this is what he has decided yeah. should have been told mm-hmm. yeah yeah interesting so there you go and it is very interesting you know thinking of Le Marchand making all these different things you know musical instruments and puzzles and bits and pieces you know and these people finding them and yeah. either knowing that they're gateways to hell or just being sort of unwitting pawns hmm. you know restoring them and selling them to people and stuff like that i like it i think it's good yeah yeah 
but Kirsty's not very pleased with Tiffany going around blowing everyone away. No, because... She's um, killing everyone. Yeah, these aren't people... Yeah, as far as Kirsty's aware, these aren't people that have literally given someone a box to open and go to hell. These are just people that are interested and are sort of passing on the myth of Le Marchand. And that's what Tiffany's saying here. She's basically saying, we need to destroy the memory of Le Marchand so no one even knows about him. And Kirsty's like, well, that's taken it a bit too far. Have a bit, they have a little bit of an argument about this. Yeah, yeah, they're both going. They're both trying to stop Le Marchand, and Kirsty's going by destroying the actual, the actual boxes puzzles. and puzzles. Yeah. And um, Tiffany's Tiffany going for stopping people, <laughs> stopping people do that, which is great. I love it. Yeah, why not? It. Each to their it. own. I think it's really good. Um, and then Tiff says, "What happened in Nebraska?" And we get a flashback. Mm. Kirsty in chains as yeah. Pinhead, and this is that picture where she looks like she's in clown makeup that I don't like. <laughs> okay. But anyway, moving on from that. Yeah, we're back where we were, and then we get a great little page of the Cenobite, the four Cenobites, and how they looked when they were human. Yeah, this is cool. And that's great. And that picture of Elliot Spencer looks really looks like Doug Bradley. Mm. It's great. Mm. Yeah, they're really good, these. I think this is really cool where he says, you know, what were the Cenobites united by? And she's like, ah, oh, whatever, whatever. And he's <laughs> like, they were all explorers of sensation they all know suffering and you can't know suffering unless you've lived you know they were all human once yeah which is cool and she so he's basically putting the idea in her head that these were humans that were taken to hell and your humans were taken to hell so you can have them back yeah and um he gets into the offer now basically yeah he says look i want to reclaim my life i want to go to heaven I want to get out of here. Yeah. And I need replacement. And she's kind of going, whoa. This is the moment where she's like, are you joking? Just kill me. (laughs) Yeah. Kill me. And he's like, no, you've got to replace me. And you can have all your people back. You can bring them back if you take my place. He's being very persuasive at this point, isn't he? This is a, a brilliant visual here where he actually puts himself equal to her by chaining himself up as well. Mm. So he's opposite her. They're both hanging by chains. So he's basically saying, look, we're the, we could be the same. I'm, I don't think I'm better than you. I want to do a trade. You get, a, a, again, a kind of Christ-like imagery yeah. that you said about before. Yeah, there's quite a lot of that. Of those. Um, and he basically uh, says, here's the box. Have a think about it. And yeah, it gives us a choice. Yeah. And I love this bit where he's like, there's room for love even in the depths of hell, Kirsty. You can keep it like a secret. So he's kind of saying, like, you know, you... You yeah. don't have to do things the way that I've done them. You can go to hell and, and do your thing and you can try and hold on to your humanity if you want. You know, it's all very kind of deal with the devil, you yeah. know, telling her what she wants to hear, I guess. And then she says, then it goes back to the present day, as it were, her and Tiffany in the house. And she, she says something really interesting. She basically says, it wasn't really a decision I had to make. I think the decision was made before I was even born. Hmm. So it's almost like she's thinking now, this is, fate has led me to this point. Yeah. Whereas really, it was kind of because her uncle was a fucker. <laughs> <laughs> well, who knows, you know, maybe it was written destined, yeah. predestined, but... Yeah, centuries ago. Yeah, basically, a big change is coming to hell, and Kirsty's gonna, gonna do it, she's gonna go to hell. Yeah, and Tiffany isn't happy with that plan. No, she smacks her. She does smack her. And then she says, I won't let you do this, but then does let her do it. Yeah. Because Kirsty says, you have to. 
Well, here we get another thing of her saying, look, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to destroy hell from the inside. Yeah. I'm going to do what we needed to do. Here's the box. I'm going to use it now to go to hell. You destroy it now. Yeah, this is and why. that's it. Yeah, this is why she's brought Tiffany here because she thinks this is the last puzzle that can be opened into hell. So once she's gone to hell, Tiffany destroys the box and that's it. There's no way of getting to hell anymore. And throughout the series up to this point, we've had lots of people saying, well, you know, you when she destroys all the boxes, what's going to happen? You know, there's something secret, isn't there? There's something yeah, that's going to happen. Yeah, like, well, she doesn't know actually what's going on. So yeah, she doesn't don't know. Don't worry about it. She doesn't know what's going to happen when all the boxes are destroyed. But yeah, Pinhead kept saying... Yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Mm. Don't worry about it. It's fine. It seemed like he's got something up his sleeve. Yeah. So anyway, here we go. She does it. Kirsty solves the box, and we get some great, good, good, good artwork here. Yeah, this is this is lovely. Yeah. She's kind of sinking into the floor. Into the floorboards. Into the floorboards, yeah. and um, she, uh, yeah, she leaves Tiffany behind. And this, so this is interesting. And because she's drawn the the glyph around her, this is what I took from it. She is able just to descend into hell. Because normally if you open the box, you know, Cenobites turn up and they rip your soul apart. But because she's drawn this glyph, she can open the box and basically do what she wants and just go to hell. Yeah, I didn't get that from it. But now that you say it, it, that sounds kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, that's what I took from it. Because otherwise, you know, the Cenobites would turn up. Well, I thought because... Although they've all been killed. (laughs) I thought because Pinhead said, look... He, make your choice. I will oh, I suppose he's put I pow- that, he might have put power into yeah, the box. Yeah, he would have been like, you know, like before when he said, when they said, go to Earth and make it gospel. Yeah. just completely got rid of the rules of him having to be summoned. So he might have, you know, reprogrammed the box or yeah, something. maybe. But then... Well, I, like, I, I mean, I, I, I like works. the... I mean, the glyph thing being there, it's not there for no reason, is it? Well, exactly. So, that, otherwise, yeah, why, why did she draw that? Mm. But anyway, yeah. Uh, she goes down to hell and Tiffany destroys the box with yeah. her knife, smashes it up, and she's just like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, but it just ends. Now this is the end of the issue with Tiffany saying, God, I hope you're right about this. Yeah. And it's like, uh-oh. Ooh. Who knows what's going to happen now? Interesting stuff. I like the introduction of Tiffany as a character. I'm glad that they brought Tiffany back. Yeah. I'm not so sure about her look and personality in this episode but it's cool it's cool that she's around there in the world doing all this stuff you know yeah uh, yeah, I like that very stopping much. engineers and stuff I think it's good yeah so the only thing I will say about this issue is there's a couple of images in it that I'm not as keen on as some of the others I don't think it's anything to do with the writing I do think it's to do with the artwork on this one and mm-hmm. it's not it doesn't you know ruin it for me or anything it doesn't take me out of the story mm. I just think, hmm, that could have looked a bit better. Yeah, it's just a bit different. But that's my, as, as I said, that's my personal opinion. I'm not saying it's bad at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I prefer the artwork in some of the other issues, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, so, talking about other issues, let's move on to number seven. This isn't for your eyes. It's for your ears. Requiem Part 3. Hmm. So we start this issue... In what I would say is Hellraiser 3 territory. <laughs> yeah, isn't, it, it? isn't it? Yeah, she wakes up in a field, like a forest glen, and uh, her dad's there, Edgar's there, Yeah, everything's fine. The harrowers are all there, she's crying. Beautiful. And then all of the people she loves sort of fly apart and smash, and then, you know, reality 
that she thinks is reality smashes, basically. Yep. It all breaks apart like glass. And she opens a door, and then here she is in the Hellraiser 2 labyrinth. Yeah, we see it again. With Leviathan in the background. And another reoccurrence from the first film. <laughs> You've got the skeletal dragon <laughs> from the very end of the first film that the tramp turns into. Here it is, flying around. It's completely red now. So maybe it was supposed to be originally, but there you go. Yeah, I mean, you talk about being slow on the uptake. I didn't realise that that was the dragon. No way. How ridiculous is that? <laughs> Just because it's all red. Well, it must be. I mean, look at it. It's... it no, it is. It absolutely is, as soon as you told me. Because it's got the thing of the horns that come out of its eye sockets. Yep. Um, it absolutely is that. And when I first looked at it, I just didn't twig that it was that. So I'm being <laughs> really dense. But yeah, great image though. Yeah, it's fun. I like it. And now this is cool. This is more of what I wanted. You know, yeah, this they're is going around awesome. corridors. And Up and down staircases. There's people, they're talking about her. She's like, she's here, the meddler. Yeah, there's like the monk, monk people mm. in red robes. Well, I, I didn't know if this was supposed to be more than one person because there's a female Cenobite as well. I, I thought it was one guy, one monk guy talking to her. Mm. I but, thought it was a few people um, all in robes. But, and it's mm, a bit ambiguous. It could be either. I don't know. But yeah, excellent. But she's there. She's watching. She doesn't look very happy, the female oh, Cenobite. She, well, she wouldn't be, would she? No. So we're in big trouble here. And Kirsty, this is cool. She's walking along kind of bridges... She walks into some kind of weird little room. Yeah, that's on like a, a floating castle in the air. And it's like a kind of engineer's workshop. Mm. You've got like um, chains and fire, loads of dead bodies hanging from the roof. Yeah, speaking of bringing back characters from the first film, there's here is the the engineer from the first film. It is an engineer's workshop. The yeah. guy, the, you know, the, the wall crawler, as he's sometimes referred to. And he's there, he's, he's actually working on something. He's got tongs in, in a fire and he's got an axe. And then Kirsty recognises him. And this is great because all, we've, all we saw of him in the film was his big, strong back legs, you know, propelling him against the, along the wall. And his front arms are trying to grab her. But when we first see him, he's just standing up sort of in a, a humanoid position. And it's like he only does that back leg thing when he's walking along a corridor. <laughs> And he, but he can stand up like a human. Yeah, I mean, and then she runs down a corridor and he, and he chases, he chases her. her with his back legs and his stinger <laughs> hovering over her. I mean, this is shameless kind of like, you like, you know, this was a moment from the films, let's do it again. Um, but there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, but I, I like this. You like this. <laughs> and also, especially because of this little twist that comes now, where a sort of small scythe flings out of nowhere and kills it. Or at least stops it. Yeah, he's about to get her. Yeah, and it's the... Oh, yeah, she falls over, so he's about to get her. And the female Cenobite has actually saved her. Mm. But as they're walking away together, she tells Kirsty that the engineer can repair itself. And it then starts putting its insides back in. And it's going to come after them again. And this is great, because she says, like, why do you call it the engineer? And she says, because it builds, it constructs, it repairs things. Mm -hmm. So you gain another little insight into what's going on in hell. Yeah, so and, could that you be... Know, what's going on with this monster? You know, maybe when people have been ripped apart, this guy turns up and puts them back together again. Mm, you never know. Maybe. Very interesting. Yeah. But yeah, he slams his guts back in again and he's, he <laughs> looks angry. Yeah. So they're like, we better get out of here. And then we have some really abstract stuff where... Yeah. Um, a, a huge massive chain comes out of the sky and beds itself in the floor and then lifts them up in sort of a chunk of... Well, they're on a box, a glass box. Well, yeah, it's like a glass box. An empty glass box. And there are 
other glass boxes around with people in them being tortured or having awful things done to them. Oh, I like this. Yeah, this I is... I like this. This is awesome. I like this guy who's being sawed to pieces. <laughs> There's another guy who's like, God knows what's going on there. It looks like all the blood's being sucked out of his body yeah. or something. But, you know, they're looking down on the maze of Leviathan. Mm. There's people there. This is brilliant. You know, she's like the demons, the workers, the Cenobites. They feast, they fight, they fuck, they wager, they war, they rage. You know, you're getting some kind of insight into what's going on in hell here. Yeah. It's like a whole world of demons and people being tortured. And it's not just, it's not just, you know, there's a room for each person. Like, you know, Frank had his room with all his ladies mm. and everyone just has a room and that's it. That's all they ever see. These people can inter interact with each other. Which I think is great. Oh yeah, it's awesome. And I think this is the way that we need as people who enjoy Hellraiser to keep showing hell you know, as a, as a constantly changing thing, as yeah. a thing that isn't just one thing or the other, not that people go, oh, so right, so now definitely there's, there is a room and you stay <laughs> in that room and that's what happens. You're like, no, 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 you know, it can, it can be anything. It can be all different sorts of things and then it will constantly be fresh. Yeah. Um, and this just looks brilliant, you know. And she's saying basically here that change doesn't happen very much in hell, but there's a change coming. Yeah. And here she says something really... Yeah, this is, this is brilliant. Ooh. Yeah. She basically says that, look, I want to be on your side because it's better to be on the side, on the winning side, yeah. Kirsty. And if I have one request, yeah, if Pinhead fails in his quest to become human and get redemption of heaven, if he ends up back here in hell, I want to be the one to ascribe his eternity of torture, yeah, because he betrayed me. Whoa. And we're, we're, yeah, we're saying Pinhead, but no one ever refers to him as Pinhead in the comments. I just, I just want to say that he's always, you know, he's your lordship or the priest he is a few times. Yeah, we're just saying Pinhead for ease of use. Yeah, so but, it, but that's great as well. The fact that it's not just, hey, Pinhead. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But no, this is really interesting. So the, the idea is he might still fail in his quest to gain heaven. Ooh. And if he comes back to hell, she's saying, can I have him, please? <laughs> yeah. Because I would like to torture him. So there we go. Crikey. The Cenobites are against each other. This is yeah. amazing. Mm -hmm. If you think about it in the context of the whole Hellraiser story. Yeah, yeah. Wow. This is great. Um, so then we cut to the priest. <laughs> yeah. The lead Cenobite. <laughs> the lead Cenobite. Um, uh, playing the organ again, talking to this representative of Leviathan. Mm -hmm. um, and he's saying, the representative is saying, you're not, you're not going to do this. Yeah, you haven't you're done not going to win. And he's very confident. His old pinhead, very confident about um, achieving his goal. And again, they reference here, you know, Kirsty does not know the consequence of destroying the toy maker's devices, yeah. their actual purpose. And Pinhead says, this ungleaned piece of information on which I laid my gamble. So it seems like a big deal. It is a big deal. Yeah. There's something that's going to happen when the toy maker's devices are destroyed that mm. we still haven't been told yet. Mm. And... Hmm. Yeah. Well, who knows? So he then requests to have uh, admission to the sanctum. And they're like, yep, you can. Off you go then. Look to the sky. Such a sight to show even you. And basically, Leviathan now <laughs> opens up. Yeah. A staircase appears. That looks a bit like sort of an entrance to a spaceship or something. Hmm. But um, yeah, the Leviathan diamond in the sky, they, they're Kirsty and the female Cenobite walking towards it and this ramp 
opens from it and so they can walk into it and this is interesting because i always thought that levi this was like a thing a like a thing a person this thing in the sky mm. and now it's sort of opens and it's empty and you can go into it mm. so it's not like a being or it, or is a being that you can go into <laughs> well i think it's up for debate what it is yeah. i think it can be anything or many things I, I mean, I still in my head believe that Leviathan is is a is a thing. It's a creature. It's a presence. Yeah. It thinks. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, it can actually definitely. be, this diamond can actually be like a room that you can go into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then just before they go into it, though, who pops up for one last scare? But it's the engineer. Yeah, he's chasing them. Yeah. And Kirsty's having none of it. She grabs one of the female Cenobite's blades and just throws it towards the engineer and chops its head off. Yeah. And then the female just goes up to it and kicks the head off this sort of ramp like a football. <laughs> I really like what Kirsty says here to the female Cenobite when she says, I'm sorry this happened to you. You deserve better despite all you've done. So I agree, he'll be yours, his damnation, your plaything. Yeah. So she's kind and of then got she some says, sympathy. Because I make the rules now. She's very much, she's, she's like, right, I'm doing this. This is it. Mm. So there's a there's a lot of complicated stuff in this issue, yeah. all, in all these issues about what is Pinhead, what power does he have in Hell? Because he's obviously very very powerful, but then at the same time he's not as powerful as Leviathan. He still yeah. has to ask for things, ask permission, to beg yeah. for things. Um, it's very interesting. It's all really really cool. And the very last page is her going up the steps towards him, and there his. Pinhead at the top of the stairs inside Leviathan. Mm, and he's got his arms out, stretched, yeah, saying, welcoming. Come to me. Whoa. Uh, there we go. There's only one more. I mean, if you if you do keep in mind the first two films, and then you do think of this continuing from them, yeah. this story has gone a cr- bloody long way. I mean, this is <laughs> yeah. crazy. Yeah. If you think about the, in, the starting off point to this, mm-hmm. I like it. I love it. And it could be, a, it still could be a film. And you could do this in, you know, an hour and 45 minutes. Yep, yep, yeah, you could do this story. And it would be awesome. We still haven't quite raised that $100 million yet. <laughs> but we're still looking at it. Yeah, oh, I got, I think, what are we, about a pound, two pound? I got, yeah, I got, yeah, 250. Good. Um, we're nearly there then. Nearly there. <laughs> and so now, here we are, issue eight. This is the last part of requiem it's also the last issue that uh, christopher monfett wrote with clive barker so he just did the first eight and then someone else took over after that Mm. and we are now going to basically finish his arc now by talking about this last issue so we carry straight on from where we left off she's just entering leviathan and pinhead's like right let's get to it yeah you've made your choice here we are let's just do this yeah insides leviathan is kind of like a puzzle box motif initially yeah and then it kind of turns into a sort of torture room lab yeah, well, yeah it's a like bit a white room yeah it is a bit weird this design it's like a an industrial oh yeah lab like you said mm. but basically Kirsty sits down and Pinhead proceeds to chop her hair off um, mm-hmm. and kind of cut her with a scythe and she pulls his pins out yeah, so, so that they have to do these things to each other. So he makes her bald while she's sat down in a chair. They swap over. He sits down and she rips his pins out. And, and this, this is, is amazing. This is 
this really is good. so and it's so bloody and gory it's it just is. exactly what you want from a horror comic it is i mean the, the my reservations come here with the art i'm not as struck with this art as i have been with the other issues and i think some things in this particular issue are not shown quite in the way that no, I want them there's to be. One, there's one image of him leaning over her before he cuts her hair off, which is a bit odd, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, what we're, what's actually happening here is great. But I, well, not... I, love, I really love, as soon as the blood starts flowing, I love all the images. <laughs> I mean, it, it's still really good, but it's not quite the way I imagined it. Well, if we'll this say. was a film, though, I've got to say, the MPAA would not be happy <laughs> with this scene. So then... You know, to continue this ritual, she gets naked. Yeah, she takes her clothes off. And um, the MPA wouldn't like that either. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, and so does he. Yeah, he. Well, he gets them ripped off by these kind of tentacle things. That yeah. Turn now, up. this is interesting. I mean, we had a bit of a chat about this before we started recording, and I thought that these were basically the same things you see right at the beginning of Hellbound. The things that when Elliot Spencer got dragged to hell, you saw these sort of you know tentacly snaky things you know ripping cutting his flesh and sticking the nails in but these things here they don't look like those no i think they're different and the things in the beginning of hellbound look much more like chenard's snakes that he shoots out of his hand yeah i think so and these things look a bit wispy really yeah i don't i don't i'm Flimsy. not i'm not completely struck on the design of these tentacles I, they seem a little bit this and that you know they're not strong Design, they're kind of quite abstract, and they're you're, they're absolutely doing the same thing where they're yeah. jamming the nails into Kirsty's head. But I I'm not as up for this design. So they are turning her into a Cenobite, into a Kirsty Pinhead hybrid. And now I've just turned the page, and here we are. Yeah, we're she's, looking at she's done Kirsty Pinhead hybrid and. My personal opinion, yeah, go on. Unfortunately, is I don't really like this look. You said that you were disappointed. Yeah, I mean, I I do like it. It is good, but I I was disappointed. I I feel that they could have done something more. Basically, they they've literally turned her into Pinhead, but with Kirsty. Yeah, like she has exactly the same pins on her face and head, and her costume is kind of red and white, and it's a sort of flowing sash type thing. It's a bit like sort of a samurai type yeah, outfit, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and it, it's fine, but I just find it all a little bit disappointing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if anyone really likes it. <laughs> well, I do like it, I'm so sorry. I will take your apology. <laughs> but um, I remember reading this the first time I read it and just thinking, wow, she's like Pinhead now. And then mm. I think that's what they were going for. And I was, you know, a proper, like, you know, little boy about it going, oh, Kirsty's pinhead. Oh. I mean, I love the idea. Yeah, I love it. And I don't, I don't mind the costume. Um, I don't mind the white and red. Well, I like the colours even. I just think it could have been a bit more. I mean, I know they're trying to update it. You know, trying to have it that this is her hell now, and she's That's doing it the in a idea, different way. Yeah. And but I think that maybe there there are more visually interesting ways to up to, to to achieve that same end. I would say. And it also, I will, I will say this actually. I mean, we talked about in our very first podcast, we talked about how much we loved the Cenobite design, the sadomasochism mm. aspect of it, mm-hmm. and the whole leather, you know, pleasure pain thing. Uh, and this doesn't have any of that at all. And like you said, maybe she's going to be recreating hell in her own image, 
Yeah, I think which that's, is that's what she's doing. White and red and a bit more fluffy, less whips. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, do you know what I mean? Like, um, if you say that the sadomasochism stuff was was a product of the eighties, or that was when it was popular, or well, it's still popular, but well, do you know what I mean? Like, if you if you're saying, for example, that the original, I don't think it was a product of popularity because back in those days, it was still a bit of a taboo, wasn't it? And that's I think that's one of the reasons why he used it. Yeah, no, absolutely. But like, if you say, for example, what I'm getting at is that the old Cenobite designs are just that, you know, they're, yeah. they're from an older time. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to update it. Okay, but why, I don't, why update I don't see... it to a samurai? No, but that's what I'm asking. All oh, right, this is this is my point. <laughs> yeah. Let me make my point. Sorry. The point is... <laughs> Ow! Stop hitting me. <laughs> the point is, I don't know what this new design represents, because it doesn't represent anything modern to me. Hmm. It doesn't represent anything to me. It represents her being uh, a Kirsty Pinhead. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. But, you know, I don't know. Some disappointment there from me. Okay. Fair enough. However, what happens next couldn't disappoint anyone because it's absolute genius. And you've got (laughs) (laughs) Pinhead, who isn't really Pinhead anymore. He's now a powerless, skinny, skinny wretch. Man. This looks brilliant. And it starts to. This looks great. This looks amazing. And it starts to, like, rain or snow little bits of red pink stuff. They look like petals. Yeah, petals. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's much better way to describe it. They're like petals falling from a tree. Yeah. And he's like, "What's this?" And it's flesh. It's little bits of flesh. Yeah. That she has called up to put flesh on him. Well, I mean, I think that this is is very much. If you look at her costume and say, "Well, that's a kind of Japanese or, or samurai type mm. style," you know, you can imagine it. Her standing in the snow yeah. like that with petals dropping yeah. down. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's that it's the, that kind of classic image. And uh, <laughs> obviously, in this case, it's flesh. Which is awesome. And then she sort of rebuilds him. Yeah, she's got like, instead of chains, she's got like white sheets that come yeah, to sashes. people. Sashes. So he's held there and he looks pathetic, you know. He does. And he it's looks like this. And it's wasted. Exactly. And yeah, this was Pinhead. Mm. You know, the, the lead, the leader, the big powerful one. And this is what he wanted. Yeah. This was his plan. And then he starts to feel things. And he says, oh my God, it's cold. Yeah. And I can feel things. And she says, and so can I. There is much power in these pins. (laughs) So she's she's getting used to it. She's learning how to use her powers. Yeah, she's enjoying it, maybe. And then we have these huge kind of ice blocks or concrete blocks. Or rock or stone or... Yeah, that pop out of the ground. She's summoned up. And, um, and Pinhead the, uh, or Elliot, Elliot, yeah, as we should call him now. Okay, he's kind of sort of saying, "Well, you know, every ruler in hell, you know, needs subjects." Every yeah, ruler I needs had subjects. my Cenobites who I told what to do, and they did what they were told. And now you're bringing up the people that you used to know to do the same. Mm. And she's like, "No, these are my friends." Yeah, and he's really contemptuous of this. Yeah, <laughs> and he starts laughing at her. Mm-hmm. And um, she says, "Look, I've destroyed the last box. I'm here with my friends, and you've been beaten." And then he just keeps laughing. He's just laughing. There's something seriously that he knows here that she doesn't yeah. know. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, you'll see. You'll see what it is. Because soon you're going to be bored. <laughs> and unexpected things is going to be the only thing that's going to be here. Yeah. You know. And, uh, yeah, it's and, interesting. And so she's summoned up the three Harrowers and Edgar to be friends. Mm-hmm. And then they turn up. And this is 
Pinhead's last sort of torture for Kirsty. The four people that she's summoned up have actually been turned into hideous and grotesque Cenobites. Hmm. Which is, is a great idea, you know. She's just thought everything's fine again and they've just been completely messed with. And that's that's a last little really horrific moment for her. That is a cool idea, but again here, oh, I'm really sorry. I don't really <laughs> like the designs of these creatures. Of the Cenobites? Yeah, of the Cenobites. Um, I just think they look like just quite scrappy like kind of indistinct monsters yeah they're they're little sort of generic monsters and i just think especially when you make such a big deal out of setting them up as in you're the priest you're the betrayer you're the love you know you're the prostitute yeah and and then you kind of just have them be these generic things because i i can't really see any correlation with what they've become to what they were and I kind of just felt like that would be good. No, be yeah, cool. the the priest is just sort of on fire with scary teeth. Uh, the Edgar is like this weird horned demon devil thing. Yeah, and you can't really see, can you, what they are? No, well, like you said, they're they're quite abstract, especially the double page spread where all four of them are together meeting Kirsty for the first time. I mean, I love the idea that she's been betrayed here, and she's like, yeah. "No, yeah, look at them." But also, I just think it would have been better, and it would have reflected the original Cenobites. You know, if they'd kind of they look somehow, you know, that it correlates to what they are in their personality or what they were, what they did. Yeah. Um, and they could look like her if you think about it. You know, they could be in white and red and mm-hmm. sashes and stuff like that. And I just think that that would work. I think that would really show to me, oh, like this is the new order, you know, coming in, rather than this just seems like. You know, they've all just become monsters, and yeah, I don't know. Maybe, but that's just my own personal opinion. You know, maybe that's what they wanted is, is for them to be more beast like, and yeah, yeah. So that was Kirsty's last torture, but she's got one more quick one for him before he goes back to Earth, where she's just put all this flesh back on his, she's rebuilt him, mm. and then she tells all her new Cenobite friends, harrowers. Tear his soul apart, and they rip him to shreds. Whoa! And that's amazing. That's cool. That's brilliant because he's like, "Let me go. You're bound by a bargain." Come on, and she's come on like, now. We got some time before you go. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's awesome. Great, fantastic idea. And that is the last we see of Kirsty and the Harrowers in this issue, and the very sort of epilogue of this story. Yeah, we're back in the house again, Kirsty's house, which might be the one from the first film. It's looking more and more like it, mm. <laughs> the more we look at it. Absolutely. And there's two removal men, just like the beginning of the first film and the yeah. end of the second film. Callbacks, callbacks. Callbacks. And they're going in there to move things. They're a cleaning service as well. And then upstairs, there's a bloodied figure, much like Frank in the in Hellraiser. Mm. And the guy's like, oh, you're right. And yeah. then do you the, need a doctor? Or he says, buddy. Yeah. Buddy, do you need a doctor? And then the guy, the bloodied figure, says, I have a name. And the last picture is him in close-up. I'm Captain Elliot Spencer. And he's still got the sort of grid pattern on his head. Yeah. But he's there, he's human, he's in the real world as a human, as Elliot Spencer again. Whoa. Yeah. What a journey. And that is the end. And then then there's, you know, a little next 
Heaven's Reply. Mm-hmm. So it does carry on. I mean, these comics are still going, and we'll talk more about them later on down the line when they've, some more have come out. But this was very much one story arc, the first eight issues, Pursuit of the Flesh and Requiem, and it was very much Christopher Monfett's arc. So that's why we've decided to do that story now. Yeah. What do you, what, what do you think about that? I think it's amazing. Yeah. I think it's just a most incredible story. I really wasn't expecting it to be this good. When I started reading these, I didn't expect it to be this good a, a story, a plot. And not just that, but the writing is so good as well. It's, you've got the sort of poetic things from, you know, like Pinhead's lines from some of the other films that are fun. And that's, that's you know, his character. He's quite a poetic, thoughtful person, mm. even though he's doing all these horrible things. But a lot of the, you know, choice, the character choice and things like that, just they, they make sense. And it's quite, it feels quite realistic. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think if I, if they had said to us, oh, God forbid if they said this to us, you know, you can write the new comics, you know. <laughs> um, I would love to think that this is the kind of thing I would write, you know. That this is, this is these choices are so good. It's so, yeah. it's exactly what I want to see as a fan of the Hellraiser yeah. films. Carrying on the story, this is what I want. So, to sum up then, the new Boom Studios comics of Hellraiser are brilliant. Well done to all involved. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're a Hellraiser fan, you should definitely read them. And you can have that thrill of thinking, well, this is an alternate Hellraiser canon. This is, you can watch Hellraiser 1, Hellraiser 2, and then you can start reading these comics up to this point, and you've got the Clive Barker continuation of the story. Mm. And they're available in comic shops everywhere, and yep. they're also available digitally. I bought yeah. most of them digitally. Yeah. Just to I, test I, it I, out. I bought the hard copies, and you bought them digitally. Yep. So um, there's plenty of ways to get them. So thank you very much to all involved who made this. Mm. And speaking of those involved, our next podcast, which should be up pretty shortly as well, is a very special interview we managed to get with the writer of these, Christopher Monfett. Ooh. Yeah, who wrote them with Clive Barker. Ah. <laughs> so we're not going to say anything about that now. A little surprise for you when you listen to the next podcast. So we hope you enjoy that. So there we go. So thank you again for listening. Do check out the website, hellraiserpodcast.com, and the Twitter account and the Facebook and all that jazz. And if you want to write to us, that's hellraiserpodcast at hotmail.co.uk. And it'd be great to hear from you. Let's hear what we people think about this comic arc and the Kirsty Pinhead character mm. and Elliot Spencer being back on Earth. Yeah. Ooh. Right, brilliant. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Peter. And we'll see you all very shortly with our very special interview with Christopher Monfett. Thank you very much. Thank Bye. You. Bye. Bye.